0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Many times we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. to take charge of whom you really are, and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Lar Redmond.
1: Hello, and welcome to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your host, Lar Redmond. And for today's show, I we all need a little bit of joy and happiness. And not only is Valentine's Day next week, but when I think about what makes me joyful and happy, I immediately think of chocolate. I just, I'm a chocolate lover, and a lot of people don't know that about me, because I am a very embodied woman, and I believe chocolate is like medicine, and I have a little bit Every day, and I'm always on sort of a secret hunt for the best chocolate in the whole world. So what was so fun for me about this show today is I just felt like the whole world needs a little bit of chocolate just about right now in the timing of the history of where we all are. And then with Valentine's Day coming up, if you're trying to figure out what your loved one wants, chocolate is a very good answer. Because chocolate doesn't ask silly questions, chocolate just understands. So before I introduce my special guest today, I want to ask you to just go inside of your own memory for a moment, if you're a chocolate lover like I am, and just think about when you first became amazed by that taste on your tongue. And when you thought to yourself, oh, I love this taste. This is chocolate. I've been doing that the last couple of days. And I realized that my first love affair was as a young woman in New Orleans eating a piece of dough bash cake. And what dough bash cake was is it was this layered cake that had a little layer of cake A little layer of what would be like a ganache, another layer of cake ganache, cake ganache, and the whole thing was about 16 layers. And I remember going into almost a meditative blissful state when I first tasted that cake. And then the next thing that I remembered in my journey with chocolate was in my 20s, I had this wonderful chapter in my life where I went to Paris, France, every couple of months, probably about five times a year. And when I got there, I would just go all around the city and taste the beautiful Parisian chocolates. I didn't care so much about the cheese. I loved the cheese, but it was the chocolate that, when I would land in that beautiful city, I wanted to go find some chocolate. And that's when my palate started to respect the nuances. The Parisians would use different parts of spice and nuts and fruits to enhance their chocolates. And then I want to tell you what happened this past Christmas— I live in Portland, Oregon. Many of you know that we have a lot of chocolate here. We're blessed. We go into you, know, you can walk into a grocery store in Portland and I won't I won't say there's a whole aisle of chocolate, but there's probably a half aisle of chocolate in most of our gourmet chocolate or gourmet grocery stores. So I'm always trying the different chocolates that are local. But this Christmas, a friend of mine, an Oregonian friend of mine, gave me this chocolate bar. And when I first opened it, I thought it was an Oregonian chocolate. I thought, oh, this is another one of these beautiful bars of chocolate from Portland. I tasted it, and I couldn't believe it. It brought me back to Paris. It was like that Parisian chocolate that I had had in my 20s. And I couldn't believe how yummy it was. And I thought, well, where are they in Portland? I have to find them. And I studied the packaging to find out that they're in Illinois. They're not in Portland. They're in Illinois, uh, an area called Woodstock. (laughs) So I went on a little hunt to find this company called Ethereal Confections, and I'm super excited today because I have the owners of Ethereal Confections with us on the radio. So without further ado, I would love to introduce all three of you. We have Mary Irvin. Is that the right way to say your last name? Yes, it is. We have Michael Irvin, who's Mary's brother, and we have Sarah Miller. Welcome, you three. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I am so fond of your product and um I just want to know a little bit about how you began your business. Tell us about how Ethereal first came to be.
2: Well, that would be um, let's see. So we started six years ago and it was um it was a long time in coming. It was something Mary and I had talked about for a long time, just you know, um sort of as a fun idea like someday it would be fun to open a chocolate shop and um, we both have a, a love of chocolate Mary used to work in a couple of chocolate shops in high school and college and so she fell in love with it there and I've always been a huge foodie and just was interested in doing anything with food that I possibly could and um, so we took a few just a few chocolate classes together and had a lot of fun doing it and just found it to be a, a fun medium to work with and so After talking about it for a few years, we just decided to to give it a shot and see what would happen. So was your very first
1: store in Woodstock, is that where you began? Yes,
3: it was. We actually started at the Woodstock Farmer's Market. We were sharing a kitchen, and we both had full-time jobs, and we were making chocolate when we weren't working at our full-time jobs and then selling at the Farmer's Market on the weekends.
1: And when you sold at the farmers market, did you have the kind of response that I just described when people would taste it?
3: I've I yeah. actually heard from some of my friends that it reminds them of European chocolate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what when I think of a European chocolate and I and I do think this is what for me stood out with this chocolate bar that I was given at Christmas from your company. They don't necessarily infuse the chocolate with the extra ingredients. So a lot of an American, when I think of an American chocolate, I think of a nut that is part of the chocolate bar. But what I loved about your chocolate bar was that fruit and nut was on top of the chocolate. So you really felt that you were eating this Unbelievable combination of flavors. It wasn't lost in the chocolate because it was placed on top of the chocolate. Was
2: that deliberate? Yeah, it was deliberate. Yeah. I mean, we we've um, done them both ways. We've learned, you know, to to mix the toppings into the chocolate, and we've learned to put them on top. Initially, we had uh, clear packaging, and so the decision to put it on top was an an aesthetic one. We thought it just looked really pretty. Um, we've gone away from the clear packaging, but we still like we still like adding the the inclusions to the top of the bar rather than mixing it into the chocolate.
1: Mm, I think that's such a cool idea because you don't miss the almond or the nut or the fruit, mm-hmm. and it's such a delicious combination on the tongue. What I what I want to know, and this is this is something that I think was such a great breakthrough in food and enjoyment of food was many years ago. I remember reading chocolate is healthy, and if you can get a chocolate with a seventy percent or higher amount of cocoa, this is good for you. This is healthy. This is going to help you be well. <laughs> and I thought, hallelujah. <laughs> um, and and now what I love about my palate, I used to really enjoy those milk chocolates that wouldn't have that high percentage of cocoa. But I've really trained my tongue to enjoy that higher percentage of cocoa That is so healthy. So, I want to know more about how that whole cocoa percentage healthy that that became something that was a buzz almost a couple of years ago with how healthy it is when you go higher in that cocoa percentage which I assume and understand is less sugar. But give me a little bit of understanding about that cocoa percentage and what that means when you're in the business of chocolate and how it would stand out as a healthier alternative. To the milkier, sugar, uh, lower cocoa percentages.
4: I'm happy to to take that one. If, if Marion's are okay with that, um, yeah, yeah. so we yeah we all work to, together uh, to come up with you know, the flavors and to test them all out. In regard to the percentage specifically. Um, When you look at a bar, when you look at, you know, pick up something in the store and it either doesn't have a percentage maybe, or if it says 50% or 60% or 70%, you can get all the way up to 99% bars on these as well. What you're seeing is the amount that is cacao, which the amount that actually is chocolate is that percentage. What what the, you know, if it says 70%, it means it's 70% chocolate and 30% something else. That could be milk, that could be soy, that could be uh, sugar. And so uh, chocolate being a tropical plant, it's actually a seed as part of a, a tropical pod, has all um, the, the health benefits that you would get from eating um, those sorts of plants. So you have the antioxidants, you have the other um, phytochemicals that are, in, that are part of the chocolate that um, minimally processing, preserving. So if you're not heating it too much, you're not putting it through industrial processing and adding um, things that alter the flavor of it. Um, you're you're preserving the healthful impacts uh, uh, and attributes of the of the plant um, and cacao um, chocolate is an expensive product and so what you see in many mass-produced products, uh, chocolates, those bars, they try to remove as much chocolate as they can from that because milk powder is cheaper and sugar is cheaper. Uh, and so when we, you know, we, you're talking a bit before about putting our toppings on top, part of the reason we do that is because we, we still top all of our bars by hand. And if you have, if you're making hundreds of thousands of bars a day, you need machines that can process that fully. And so everything needs to be mixed together and you're not going to have the care in not only um, producing the chocolate, because we make our our chocolate from the bean, we import those beans, but also in in how you then um, ultimately produce the bars that come out of that. So it's really about the percentage being what what percentage is chocolate, and the higher it is, the more real uh, plant product you have as part of the bar.
1: Ah, I never realized that, and I wasn't saying it correctly.
4: It's cacao Yeah, there's sort of an arbitrary line about when it's cacao and when when it becomes cocoa. Um, But typically when it's uh, in the pod, on, on the plant, taken off, and even through the processing, when I say processing, it's really fermentation outside in tropical regions. It's still referred to as cacao. And then some point along the line, when you're actually um, adding some sugar to it and making it into a refined, a smooth chocolate, uh, people t- typically refer to it as cocoa at that point. But it's not. There isn't really a a good rule about when it's one or the other.
1: So, Michael, when you source these beans and you go find this high quality, tell us about how you do that, and where do you go to accomplish. That, that idea of finding the finest plant that you can use
4: sure like any um, even like like wine how wine is grown up and even craft coffee how that's developed over time um, there there's more of a market now and as more people demand uh, or are looking for higher quality chocolates there's more it's, it's easier to, to get that um, and I would say that the craft chocolate movement is maybe 10 years old maybe a bit older there were a few pioneers before that and it's a, it's a bit easier now and there's more um, co-ops and more farmers who are looking at, knowing that there's a market uh, to buying higher quality cacao so it's, it's influenced by the genetic of the plants the, the soil in the region, the the kind of weather that they have. For instance, in the Dominican Republic, uh, the, the harvest this year is very very poor. And so we're not able to get as much as we typically can from the Dominican Republic. Um, so it's really about knowing the different labor profiles, the different kinds of farms to help delving relationships with these co-ops. Uh, because most farmers uh, only have an acre or two of land. And so you're not going to be generally working with one or two people. You're going to be working with a little bit higher level that they they can get organic certifications. They can help, you know, drive a truck to the the farm uh, where the the farmer has his uh, his his pods his her pods, and then bring it to a central place where it can be bagged and then and exported. So uh, it's it's about regions. It's about the flavor profiles we're looking for, and it's really about us um, vetting as much as possible that it's uh, a beneficial organization. It's helping the farmers that they're not. Um, you know, being uh, certainly not child labor, not being using any kind of pesticides or things that would be harmful to both the workers and also the plants and the environment. So there's a lot that goes into figuring it out. And and relief from us, uh, our our, our business philosophically, we only buy from Central and South America right now just because we feel like we're closer to that. And um, that's not to say that all, you know, I think something like um, 70 to of 80 the, percent of the cacao in the world comes from africa which is not actually native to there we just don't feel comfortable doing that right now and you have to have a lot more infrastructure and a lot more people um in your organization or in your company to go and, and to look at that and at least for us central and south america it's a place we can actually go and uh, have a closer connection with those farmers
1: well, you bring up something that I've been so grateful for living in Portland, Oregon. There's such a emphasis on farm to table and knowing where your sources are, having a relationship with that human being. And that makes me understand even more why when I first took a bite of your chocolate, It felt to me like such a special taste. And when I hear the effort that you put into finding and sourcing those ingredients, it really makes a difference. And that's why when you're paying more money for something, there's a reason you're paying more money for that item. It's not Hershey's. It's special. And so when you take that bite, your tongue will tell you why you paid more money.
2: Yes, that's exactly right. What is the <laughs> giggling? Are you giggling because
1: you think uh, the money part is, it, it's an interesting, wh- tell me more about what came up for you guys when I was saying that, about the price of chocolate, the taste on the tongue, explaining to the consumer why you're paying what you're paying for a bar of chocolate.
2: Well, I think for us working with it, um, it's it's so obvious now. Like, yeah, when you grow up, you're used to Hershey's, you're used to really inexpensive chocolate. And so the, the price of a good quality um, chocolate bar can be a little a little stunning at first. But once you know more about it and you know, like Michael was saying, how it's grown, how it's made, how it's sourced, and then all the work that goes into it at a chocolate shop, um, how, how it's roasted there and, and sorted and um, ground into chocolate. And then once you have the chocolate, how it's made into confections, it's just yeah, it's it's when you, it's it's easy to, to to look at the price and think yeah that totally makes sense now that I know what goes into it.
1: Well, when I was talking about the chocolate in Paris, I remember that was the first time I think I paid when the conversion was over and said and done. Mm-hmm. And this is a while ago. I believe in this particular chocolate store that stands out to me. It was a pharmacy. Um, Debove, I think was the name of it or is the name of it. And it was a pharmacy before it became a chocolate shop. And I forget the arrondissement, it's N, but I think I paid $12 for two pieces, if my memory serves, and this would have been in the 90s. And I thought, oh, my gosh, am I going to actually do this? And I thought, yes, I'm going to do this. And the seriousness in the store was so funny because not only was it a former pharmacy, but the people that work there acted as if you were buying morphine. It was so serious and so (laughs) complete. I mean, it was crazy. But I bought these two pieces, and I walked outside, and I sat down on a bench and I took a bite and I went back every day before I left to go back to the U.S. because at that point, it I would have sold my jewelry to have that Taste. So I think we have to let all the listeners understand that there is a quality that comes with price, especially when you're sourcing consciously to put the ingredients together that make that taste happen on the tongue. So here we have Valentine's Day. It's next week. And I have to know from the perspective of being a chocolate uh, business, what is Tell us what that's like—the Valentine's Day build-up, the sales, the energy. What's going to happen between now and next week for you guys with respect to Valentine's Day?
2: Well, we um, we're starting to get really busy. Valentine's Day is interesting. Um, Christmas is—we're also really slammed for, but it's kind of stretched out and spread out over a couple months. Whereas Valentine's Day kind of hits hard and fast like for it starts to build up at february 1st but like the, the closer you get to valentine's day the busier it gets so it's kind of just a whirlwind of making as much product as we can to stock the shelves um so that we can sell it to all the customers um and at valentine's day truffles in particular are, are popular people still buy the bars and some of the other confections, but they really want to give someone something special um, and a little, a little box of just a couple truffles can, can feel more special than maybe a chocolate bar. And Mm. this year in particular, we've um, sourced some red heart boxes too, to, you know, just make it a little, that much more special for the customer. So we're, we're busy. We're working nonstop and trying to get everything done.
1: Yeah, I bet. Well, and at the end of the show today, we'll give people all of the info to find you because I'm assuming a large part of your business is mail. Tell us what the percentage would be approximately between, I know you have this actual physical store in Woodstock, Illinois, but how much mail order are you doing in your business? Actually,
2: the largest amount of our um, business it's, it's sort of mail order because we, we do wholesale our products. We sell through other stores um, around the country. So that is a lot of what we do. And then um, our, our storefront is really busy. As far as retail customers, online orders aren't like, that's not our biggest part of the business. Wholesale and retail is. And I would say it's probably kind of half and half.
1: Well, when you think of Valentine's Day and or Christmas, I just want to be honest. I would rather have chocolates than flowers. I mean, I am I love the flowers, but if someone said chocolate or flowers for Valentine's Day, I got to go with chocolates. So what would you guys say if you were to be honest? I know you're in the business, but like... Cool. I want to know a little bit about your relationships with chocolate, as I was saying at the beginning of the show. Um, So, Mary, let's start with you. It's Valentine's Day. Yes, you're in the business, but chocolate or flowers? Chocolate.
3: The hardest part of having a chocolate shop is that for Valentine's Day, no one buys you chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sarah and I actually buy each other chocolate for Valentine's Day.
1: (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So you're going to go with chocolate, and I want to ask you to go into your stories about chocolate and tell our listeners what, what your most vivid memory is with that love affair. Oh,
3: um, well, I got into the chocolate business pretty young. I was 14, and it was my first job in high school. Um, and that's where I was really introduced to good chocolate. I was working at a small shop in the town town. Uh, where my high school was, and we were, it was a family owned store, and we made all the, we didn't make the chocolate from the bean, but everything was handmade and hand packaged. So that was my introduction, and then um, when I was in college, I was looking for a job. Um, I went to, well, it doesn't matter where I went, but um, when I moved to school, I was looking for a job, and I couldn't find anything, and I happened to drive past the chocolate shop. And I thought that they had to hire me because I had chocolate experience. So I went in and filled out an application. And working at that shop was really what grew my love of chocolate and and love of food. I was learning a lot about cooking and plants and growing things. And uh, it was during that time that Sarah and I became friends and we were Taking cooking classes together for fun, and always everything we did was revolved around food. We were going out to dinner and trying new restaurants and flavors, and and that's um, pretty much what paves the path for us to start this chocolate business.
1: So when you guys decided let's do this business, what take us through the process of saying okay we're going to do chocolate, but let's do chocolate differently than most people do it. How did you realize that was such a smart way to profile the idea of chocolate as a business? I
3: don't, I don't know that we put an emphasis on trying to create something that was totally different from what other people were doing. It was, it was just that we were so influenced by all these restaurants and different places we were going to with all these exciting flavors that that was something that we wanted to bring into chocolate.
1: Mm. Yeah, good thing you did. So Michael, what what's your guess, flowers or chocolate?
4: <laughs> I I'm, I'm a bit more on the giving end of those sorts of things than the the receiving end. Um uh you know, when I when if I've given flowers in the past, I typically give given live flowers because it you know, it's it's kind of I think what got us uh, you know, at least in terms of my support of Mary and Sarah into the business is creating experiences with food and with chocolate. And it's why we have a cafe. It's why, um, you know, we try different flavors out. We've, we've had butter tasting parties in the past and we've had, you know, tables full of 25 different ingredients there and we put them all together. And so the versatility of chocolate is, is pretty extreme from very savory to very, um, sweet items, dessert items, chocolate, uh, just, you know, a plain bar. And, and there's something that we, we talk about a lot. So Mary, you know, in terms of if you're asking about Valentine's Day, Mary's going to be giving some classes for people for couples together to um, you know to make chocolate together, and it's it's really everything around um, chocolate. And when we give tours, there's always a, a segment that I uh, give or that I'm talking about that chocolate really is a, a testament to human ingenuity. The, the the fact that it's a tropical pod. And there are seeds inside of that that they cut open and then they put it in in boxes in the tropical climate and bacteria gets in there and it ferments the sugars and it starts developing the chocolate flavor and then it's dried for days outside and then packed up. And, you know, originally it was just a a, a mashed up drink that people had and add some spices to and it took until the Industrial Revolution to be able to refine it to a level that, Um, people can't feel the texture of it so that's a lot of what we do is is, is make sure that the the chocolate is smooth and uh, the most miraculous part of it for me and the reason I think a lot of people are attracted um, to chocolate is things that we don't control it's the the chemicals that are released in your brain when you eat it and the fact that the fat in chocolate forms crystals, and those crystals. When you hear about tempering chocolates, like tempering glass or steel. You're you're trying to form specific crystal types in the chocolate, and it just so happens that the type five crystals that we we like and that we see in a chocolate bar, that the nice shine of the bar and the snap, happens to melt just at body temperature. So mm-hmm. the the fact that that's just sort of a you know a, a quality of chocolate that it wasn't by design it just happens to be uh, an aspect of nature and you put it on your tongue and that solid piece of chocolate liquefies and releases the the, the texture there and the flavors there so there's uh, not to say that flowers don't you know can't be nice but for me it's there's so much more experience there's so much more versatility around chocolate that it can be uh, it can mean a lot to a person it can mean something you eat every day as part of meals and food it can be a dessert. Um, and I think that's, I mean, really, if I, not to speak for Mary and Sarah, but it really attracts us as a whole that we can do so much with it. We can try so many different things and they, they all can work in different ways.
1: Well, you bring up a really good point. You said, I'm usually the one giving and not receiving. So I have to ask, do you think chocolate is more popular amongst women than men?
4: I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I like chocolate a lot, and we, we, people say that all the time. They, they come into our, our cafe, and they go, oh, this place is supposed to be popular with, with women. And uh, I, don't, I really don't see that. I think plenty of men like chocolate. And if you look, uh, we were just talking yesterday that they talk even about how uh, a lot of times or you know, the perception of pastry chefs or people who are chocolatiers, that there's a lot of men in that. So I think both from a creation side of it and also from... Consuming it, you know, as a traditional gift, probably that's probably true. But I don't think, you know, I think I see men as much as women get excited about bars and seeking them out and trying different things, and um, it it might just be a little bit different experience. So they might just, you know, convey it a little bit differently than women do. I I think, anyway.
1: But it's it's kind of curious to me because as we're talking about this, I realize that as you put it in a traditional modality. You will see in a movie, for example, the man brings the woman chocolate or jewelry or flowers. But I, I think we have to turn that around and make sure that we're giving men just as much chocolate as they're giving women because I never thought of it as a gender-specific thing until just now when you said that about receiving and giving um, and the difference that entails. So as a male, take us through your memory of chocolate and how you first recall that sensational embodied pleasure when you ate chocolate and and tell us where you were and what kind of chocolate it was.
4: I think like a lot of uh, people in the United States, and I I can't speak beyond that too much, but... You know, our our first experiences with chocolate are mass-produced, packaged uh, items in, in stores. And you, you sort of view chocolate as a candy. It's something that you eat really fast and throw away. And because it's not really very good, you eat a lot of it. And it really wasn't until really Mary and Sarah first getting into food. And, and we all had different professions, uh, Mary. Uh, with uh, graphic design and serious interior design, and kind of gravitated back towards something that they loved. I, I got drawn in from that, and and kind of like your trip to um, France, with you know, as as they started trying more things, we started ordering chocolate from all over the country. We uh, we traveled to different places and tried chocolate, and for the first time. You, you 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 know i don't remember what the first bar was but we probably had i think i ordered that some 1.500 dollars of chocolate from all over the country and i got uh, in a bit of trouble for doing that but as we tasted through it and you 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 eat one of the bars and you just can't believe that it's just it's just two ingredients or sort two or three ingredients that's sugar and maybe cocoa butter and the the chocolate that's in there the cacao and you you taste um fruits you taste. Sometimes it's deep chocolate notes. Sometimes you taste nutty flavors. It, it can be um, kind of mushroomy sometimes. There's just mm. so much that's in there. And I just remember the first couple of times, like, oh my gosh, I didn't real. this is a, an aspect of flavor that I never knew existed. And, mm. and um for me, it was probably when we just sat down and, and and ate through probably, you know, a bit of 25 different bars or 30 different bars, and just there was so much distinctness and so much difference there. I think what sticks out in my mind most is when we first started making our own uh, chocolate and getting the beans in and putting them in the oven and roasting them and opening that oven up, and just this beautiful brownie baking smell comes out of these, you know, these beans, and it just, it's something that we smell in our cafe to the, to now when we roast all day long, and you just walk in from outside and people just step in and mm. say, oh, I can't believe how good it smells in here. It's like stepping into heaven, and that, for me, uh, mm. is something that really attracted me at first, and it's something that, that I, you know, I'm still hit with every single day when, we, uh, when we're doing a new roast.
1: Oh, that sounds so fun. I wish I could smell it. I feel like I'm smelling it as I imagine it. I want to know from you, Sarah, I know you're expecting a baby in August, and so that may affect your cravings, but what's it (laughs) going to be? Flowers or
2: chocolate? What do you think? I still um, would choose chocolate over flowers. I mean, I love flowers, but but chocolate for me is really the weight of my heart. (laughs) Um, and like Mary said, it's, it's really unfortunate because I used to get chocolate for Valentine's Day and now um, now that I have a chocolate shop, no, no one wants to buy you chocolate because <laughs> they're afraid <laughs> they're going to buy you something you don't like or maybe you only like your chocolate. But that's not true.
1: <laughs> so do you find that your chocolate preferences have shifted with pregnancy? Are there different types of chocolate that you enjoyed more than you did when you weren't pregnant?
2: They have, for sure. Um, yeah, for the first, uh, like, three months, I really didn't want any chocolate. Um, the taste for chocolate's really only come back in the couple last past couple of weeks, but I'm finding I actually, whereas I've always loved dark chocolate more, now I actually am preferring more sweeter milk chocolates. Um, but I think that's just been a, it's a temporary change, and... Well, I will go back to my dark chocolate soon.
1: <laughs> yes. What's your memory that comes up for you about that love affair at the very first moment that you tasted it and knew that something magical had happened on your tongue?
2: Well, it's it's hard to know specifically when that happened. Um, but definitely as a kid, I had a huge sweet tooth and I loved anything chocolate, you know, M&M's, PR cups, you know, all the all the good candies you could buy. And I think sometime in early adulthood, early 20s, is when I started trying other chocolates. Um, And I really can't remember where I tried it. It's just I would, you know, visit new cities and look up the chocolate shops and go to them. The one that does stick in my mind is another Wisconsin chocolatier out of Madison. And she was doing interesting things like putting pepper in her chocolate or, or rose and at that time in my life that was really my first exposure to that and I wasn't sure I would like it but I tried it and it was just amazing how those flavors went with chocolate and they were they were subtle but they were delicious.
1: Well so then that brings me to bacon because that was the craziest thing a few years ago when I tasted bacon and chocolate and it was brilliant. Mm. So I, I guess that's the contrast of that savory sweet with the salt. I, I what what is not a good mixture with chocolate? Like what would be? Because now that we've got so many variations and and combinations, tell me something that you would definitely not pair with chocolate.
3: Oh, hmm. um, I don't know. Actually, we we do a lot of spirit and chocolate pairing events at our shop, and we'll pair. Um, tequila and beer and wine and whiskey and we pretty Jeez. much can pair pair any flavor with our chocolate. You know, people don't traditionally think that tequila will go or beer even will go well with chocolate, um, but we can always find something that pairs well. I can't think of anything offhand that I think would be terrible with chocolate.
4: Corn on the cob.
2: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe broccoli. I'll stay away from
4: broccoli. But, but tomorrow, someone will have a dried <laughs> corn kernel bar. You know, I'm that's sure
3: that's I could make it taste
4: delicious. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Or if you look at Mexican food with a, like a mole, where they might have some corn in there and some other things, I, I'm sure it would be delicious.
1: Yeah. Well, and I found out when I was researching some of the history of chocolate that. And the ancient Mayans considered it the food of the gods, and the Cubans use it as an aphrodisiac. So the Cubans are much smarter than we are in knowing that it is an aphrodisiac. So why why do you think it is so sexy? And let's go to the sensual parts of chocolate and, and what makes it an aphrodisiac beyond the dopamine in the brain, which I know is certainly... Uh, what happens when you eat chocolate, but what do you think makes it so sexy?
2: That's a good question. I, I mean, I think it's a lot of components. I think it's what you said, like what actually happens um, chemically inside of you when you eat chocolate, but I think it also combines with um, the look of it and then also like the mouthfeel when you eat it. Just It's, it's really kind of, um, you know, like luscious.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, what would you say, Michael? What makes it sexy?
4: Um, you know, there's a lot of associations that get built up with uh, different sorts of things, and, and uh, um, I think really, at least f- from my perspective, it's how it's how much of a reaction it it, it imparts in someone. So it's not just it's you know it, there are the obvious things, and I was talking before about um, you know kind of melting on your tongue, and I mean there's a reason people kiss is because we have lots of nerve endings in our mouths and our lips and that is, you know, chocolate directly appeals to that. It's it's melting and it, it goes from a kind of a solid to a liquid. There's a maybe kind of a chewy, a kind of a, you know, a firmness that kind of gives way. There's a lot that goes into it and then just watching someone's face when they when they do that, when they go through the experience of eating chocolate, it's the flavor, it's the texture, and you just know that there something is happening inside them that's going through that, and it's something that it's, it's kind of hard to to uh, control or to even hide that you're you're enjoying that. So it's, I think it's it's partly what you're going through yourself, but also when you're sharing it with someone, when they're reacting to it, it kind of it kind of goes to the heart of what relationships are and how how people share experiences together. So it's. Um, for me, it's it's about um, sharing, really.
1: That's such a good point because really you don't ever see somebody frown or feel unhappy when they take a bite of chocolate. It's an automatic joy. And that's why I thought it was so timely because we need more joy in the world right now. And I think chocolate's a great way to go. I have a chemical question for you, Michael, about your chocolate specifically, because this is something that really stood out for me when I ate my bar from your company I didn't have that filmy aftertaste on the tongue, and and I want to know what that is when you do get that because whether it's a chocolate bar and I and I often feel it sometimes with ice cream, where when you first taste it it tastes super yummy but then like two minutes later there's a feeling of something's on your tongue that's. Um, uh, chalky or um, yeah. it's not a comfortable taste after the fact. What is that?
4: Um, I'll, I'll go back a little bit about how we produce it, uh, produce chocolate. So we get big sacks of beans in just like, uh, you know, like a coffee roaster might. They're big burlap sacks. They weigh somewhere between 100 and 150 pounds. And so we have teams of really um, uh, strong people that help us. Now We would actually just gang up on the bags uh, together. We go through them by hand and we, and we roast them and we're, we're pulling out of those uh, bags our um, non-bean material. There's, there's tropical plants in there, there's beans that are not fermented right or have you know, problems with them. And if you're a big producer, you, you don't have time to do that. You're dumping huge bags into the big giant roaster and you're going with it. And we're, we're, we're going through and pulling out the best um, beans by hand. We roast them. And what we really control after that, aside from, you know, the temperature and the the length of the roast, which changes the chocolate flavor uh, dramatically, a really short roast is much more fruity, a long one is much more chocolatey, is that we have a a grinding and what's called a conching process. And the grinding process is really about reducing the particle size of the chocolate and the sugar to the level that your your tongue won't detect it. So it's somewhere around the 40 micron level that your tongue can feel individual particles. And if you can get the, the, the particles of the chocolate and the, and the sugar below that level, you'll, you'll just taste smoothness. Now, the, the problem is that when you go too far, if you, if you refine it too much, if you, if you reduce the particle size too much, you turn it into a, a very chalky, kind of crumbly sort of substance. If the temper isn't done right, it can be um, chalky, and I think maybe what you're talking about here, because it's not only just chocolate but also ice cream, is a lot of um, companies add emulsifiers to um, mm-hmm. their products. So ch- chocolate's actually a suspension; the, you, the, the sugar particles are coated in chocolate. It's not dissolved in it, and so um, a lot of companies add soy, for instance, to make sh- to make that um, that suspension work better. Uh, we add some extra cocoa butter instead, which is actually adding a little bit more fat. It tempers better. It works better for our truffles, and it doesn't change the mouthfeel. The reason that most people don't do it is because it's expensive. It's expensive to use um, a real chocolate product. It's cheaper to use something else like like soy. Uh, and so, you know, most commercially processed foods and desserts have soy or different emulsifiers in them, and we just we just don't use that. And it's something that you know, we, we were committed to early on, and it's something that Mary and Sarah... I've uh, uh, worked really well with in terms of making our desserts and our confections. I've added too much uh, cocoa butter in the past in some of my experiments, and it's really runny because it's it's a fat, and it, it, when it heats up, it um, uh, it gets very liquidy. But we've we've found the right it's the right combination of. Of the roast, how long to grind it, and then how you know how much cocoa butter to add additionally into that, just to give it the right mouthfeel and uh, to to then pair well with the different flavors we have with the spices and the nuts and things.
1: Boy, thank you for explaining that. So it's the emulsifier because, I that's really what keeps me coming back or not coming back to a special product. If I get that. Feeling on the tongue after I eat it, I won't ever buy it again. And that's, again, what stood out to me with your chocolate bar was I didn't get any of that um, sense of chalk or lingering on the tongue after eating it. It just was smooth and delicious. And I think that's a great test. Um, And now I understand my tongue was why it under why it doesn't like the emulsifier and why it notices when it's not there, because I think a lot of sweeter products must use it, and I didn't even know that to explain that,
4: yeah yeah, and you're talking about life with in regard to that anyway
1: tell us something what would be a story that any of you have that would be a fun uh, what what is a funny or a memorable story about having a chocolate business that would just be, you had sent me these really fun things about little-known facts and and what would be a story around being in a chocolate business that we could have a a feeling of what that's like that would be fun or funny or or memorable?
3: Hmm. We've had so many experiences. (laughs) I agree. Um, (laughs) One thing you can always count on is it doesn't matter how long you are at the shop, or what you're doing, or what you're wearing, you will always leave with chocolate on your clothes.
1: Always. <laughs> it's inevitable.
3: <laughs> it is. It's, even if you run in to grab a coffee and leave right away, somehow mm-hmm. it will end up on you.
4: And how many places uh. you then go and the people say, you smell like chocolate, and you're hoping that's a good thing, but you just <laughs> think it's really noticeable. Uh, as you go yeah, around surprising. And going to
3: yeah. yoga or at the dentist or you know a doctor's mm-hmm. appointment, people always comment that you smell like chocolate. <laughs> uh,
1: that's a good problem. What about customers what What's been something kind of funny or quirky that's happened with return customers or new customers?
4: We interact with with so many different people every day. I think um we were just talking about this yesterday that um, just in terms of experiences, we didn't realize how much of your heart and soul probably goes into running a business because we're not only working with chocolate, but we have to be electricians and plumbers and you know manage staff and uh, <laughs> do some of the dirtiest jobs and, and do the most fun things in terms of creating uh, new products and get to do fun things like interviews like, like this. Um, customers are just... Um, yeah, on the weekends, fifty percent of our customers are still new people that've never been there before, and uh, we see that. You know, that, that they walk in for the first time, they look around, they're surprised at um, what it is, and, and and we're not because we're not. You know, there's a mass chain of, of of that sells coffee down the street, and we're so different than that. It's just a kind of a sense of wonder. I don't want to evoke uh, any uh, old movies, but a sense of wonder when people. Uh, come in, and and I think we just, we really enjoy um, uh, experiencing that, so it's, you know, people are, are always, it's always interesting, they're always interesting when they come in and, and see that for the first time, or give us stories, that, like you're t- asking us today about stories about chocolate, they'll tell us the first time that they were somewhere and had the, the chocolate, or a really great coffee, or a dessert like this, and, um uh, it, it really brings a lot of me- back a lot of memories for people. Even though we're not kind of a traditional old town, um, you know, sort of chocolate shop, we're, we're something very different than that.
1: Well, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will Google you and we'll give them the info in a few minutes where they can see because your storefront does, re- it evokes totally that sense of Willy Wonker and being in that older time of the history of the world and, oh, look, there's a chocolate shop. Wow, I can't wait. Let's go. Um, you have a wonderful-looking storefront, which I hope to visit one day. I- I'll tell you a funny story. I'm a... Um, I'm a confidence coach, and I work privately with individuals. And a couple of years ago, this woman came to see me, and she was going through a really hard breakup with a guy. And she said to me, I I can't believe it. It's not going to work. And I'm I'm so upset because it means no more chocolate. And I said, what do you mean? And did, did he bring you a lot of chocolate? And she said, well, actually, whenever we would be sensual together and we would be sharing um, basically sex – At the end of that experience, he would reach under the bed and he'd pull out a truffle and put it in my mouth and i thought my god that that's a dude that's really putting great thought into the romance factor of the chocolate and the love making and i will never forget her telling me that and i and i've never experienced such a thing but i thought now that's unique someone that's got the truffle under the bed just to make sure that at the end of the whole experience it's memorable and delicious and that You're was a really
2: unique. <laughs> I
1: know. And the the poor guy didn't make it after all with her. So that <laughs> that's the thing I took away was all that effort and no follow through, but but she was so sorry to miss out on that experience <laughs> and he did it every time like he always had truffles and that was that was how she Kept. I think maybe that's why she stayed with him as long as she did <laughs> after I heard more about his story. But anyway, that stands out as a great chocolate story. Um, and the other one that I thought of was when my son was – my youngest son was in fifth grade. His father and I gave him a box of chocolates because he had been on a stage doing a performance with his class, and, and he was nervous, and he got through it. And we we gave him the box of chocolates, and it was one of those wonderful assorted boxes with all the different types. And we went home, and he had a piece, and, and he offered everybody a piece. And the next day when he went to school, I grabbed the box, and I got going, and I he came back from school, and he opened the box, and he's like, oh, what happened to my chocolate? Where's my chocolate? And I just said, I ate it. I ate all of it. I've got like two pieces left. Let's go to the store and get another box. I mean, it's, it's just it's fun to think about your chocolate memories and your chocolate stories. And I wondered if anything um, – before we have to get going here, if there's anything you want to share with the listeners that is an important chocolate message, like, what would you like to tell everyone out there about chocolate that you know being in the business and that would be a good takeaway for them to know as they try to figure out what to do today to get some chocolate in their mouths?
2: I think I would tell them definitely um, invest the money to buy high-quality, uh, like, handmade chocolates over over some of just the the... Mass-produced um, stuff you'll find in, in the bigger stores. Um, yeah, it's a bigger ticket price, but you'll definitely find the flavors and the quality so much, so worth it.
1: Well, and not only that, but when you eat high-quality chocolate, you cannot eat it fast. It's, it's a slow sensual, back to the sensuality of it. You, you can't scarf down high-quality chocolate. it it automatically slows you down in the mindful aspect of enjoyment.
2: Yes, for sure.
1: And what about you two? What else would you like to tell the listeners? What's a great piece of advice or takeaway about chocolate?
3: I've found that touring new cities is best done by touring chocolate shops because Mm -hmm. they're always in the coolest part of town, and the chocolate community is always so great. They're always so friendly and so open to talking about chocolate. And especially once they know you're in the business, they're very free with
1: samples. Mmm, that's a good one, the samples. Definitely. What do you think, Michael?
4: I, I would echo a little bit of what Sarah was saying too, and, and what you were saying about slowing down. And when I was talking earlier about a lot of people's very early experiences with chocolate, with candy, with bars, you eat a lot of it because it's just not very satisfying. And when you buy something, it may cost you seven, eight, nine, ten dollars, and you know what goes into it, and hopefully a little bit more now because of uh, us being here today. Um, you take one bite and you can put it on your tongue and you can probably wait two or three minutes and just let it melt and swallow it and experience that. And you don't need to eat the entire bar to get something really great and really fulfilling. And, uh, you get something that can take a long time. You can have, you get a single bar and you can eat it over the course of a week. So, uh, I would just say it is something that certainly the quality is there, but you can really take time and you can really be fulfilled with something that is really great. Uh, and, um, you don't have to go to a lot of different places. You don't have to eat a lot. So it's not only good for you, makes you feel good, uh, but you know, it, uh, it, it can be, I guess, low-calorie as well and make you feel good in a lot of different ways.
1: Yeah, so in a way, the the slowness is a great way to become more mindful. You can use that high-quality ethereal chocolate bar to become more mindful and more aware of the sensations in your body as you slowly eat it. So um, I want to tell everybody about how to find you. And in fact, that truffle box that I put on Instagram today from your store, I I need to get my hands on one of those because that just looked ridiculously special. Um, and so I know you're on Instagram and Facebook website. We'll go through that real quick. And also just to tell everyone at, at Feel Good Naked Radio on Instagram, if you want to see the box of truffles from Ethereal Confections, go see it on the, on the photograph. But tell us how to find you, everyone out there who wants to get more of what you've got. Where do they go?
3: Our website yes. is etherealconfections.com.
1: Can you spell that?
3: Sure. It's E- C-H-E-R-E-A-L Confections is C O N F E C T I O N S dot com
1: And social Media. Um Facebook, you're on Facebook, yes? Yeah, we're on
3: yeah, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're right. on
1: Instagram. And it's also yeah. a ther- Ethereal Confections. Correct. Thank you all so much. What a treat to talk to you all and for educating me more about one of the great loves in my life. In fact, I said it's my very first love and she's never disappointed me. And as we head towards Valentine's Day, take time to really appreciate the love in your life. And it sounds like you have four people today saying they all prefer chocolate instead of flowers. If you're trying to say, what do I want to give my loved one? And as always, remember, you complete you and you deserve chocolate. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Feel Good Naked Radio with Laura Redmond. Please join us live again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be you and feel great in your own skin.